Volume 4, Starving Artist, everybody. We have a big show today. We have a very good friend of mine and a cinematographer I look up to and editor who's fucking crazy good. Uh, we have Sean O'Neill here tonight. Sean O'Neill. But before we start anything, we, gotta, we have to uh, give a shout out to our little sponsor here. So, everybody, welcome to the Starving Artist podcast number four, volume four, brought to you by Quaver. And what's Quaver? Well, Quaver is a new online platform designed for private music teachers and was designed to take the administrative, time-consuming clutter out of running a private music teaching studio. Too much of a music teacher's time is wasted chasing down payments, organizing a teaching calendar, building an online presence, and finding new students. Quaver will help with all of that. On Quaver, you can automate receiving your lesson payments and from your students, seamlessly organize your teaching calendar, and help yourself find new students with an easy-to-build studio webpage. Along with the automated lesson payments, Quaver wants to help private music teachers earn more money. Because when have you ever heard a music teacher say, I earn too much money? Never. Quaver will reward teachers with a 1% bonus on their total annual teaching revenue that is processed through the platform. Essentially, Quaver pays music teachers for using the platform to enhance their income. Quaver is free for teachers to use. We are passionate about building the Quaver community, providing a seamless online experience, and to enhancing the lives of music teachers and students. It takes as few as three minutes to set up your account and to get started finding your students and enhancing your income. We at Quaver look forward to welcoming you into our online community. Quaver, let's make music together. And that's that, Sean. Let's do it. Let's let's make music together. I listened. I listened to your episode too. I'm episode four. No, you're. There's volume a, no, four? your volume. You'd be volume five. So volume. I'm volume five. Your volume five. You've come a long way in your reads since episode Dude, two. Yeah, volume five, volume <laughs> two, volume one is actually with my family. So volume one is like it's all of us around. It's supposed to be two mics, one cut out, but it's like my big Italian family and we, my dad and my uncle and everyone talked about how they came here from Italy, but the mic cut out, so it's all on one track and it kind of sounds like shit. <laughs> is that one for the archives? That, that one's going to be, yeah. That's, that's a Christmas bonus? That's, that's a Christmas bonus because everyone's saying, well, wait, there's volume two. Where's volume one? It's like, Ugh. I don't know if you want to have, I don't know if you want to hear volume one because it's kind of shitty. That's very honest of you to start uh, with, like to show we're on volume two. Volume one is just for me. That's what I mean. So now you're volume five. Okay. Which is really cool. Sweet. Because that means that we've done this five times. <laughs> <laughs> so you're starting to break into a stride. I'm starting to break into a. Um, I'm starting to break into a. What's it called? A. Uh, this is a thing now for five weeks. Yeah, it's been decent. So your levels are good. I'm pretty sure. We'll find out. We'll find out. If mine cuts out, I'm gonna be walking, watching, listening from your side of things. Yeah, yeah, but I think we're good. Everything looks to be fine. So. Fuck, I hope they're good. Give me like a yell. <laughs> give, me, give me like a big yell. Like, woo or something. Woo! Okay, we're good. All right. That peak a little bit? That's all right. It I'm peaked. not going to go that loud. No, no, it's fine. Just, I, I might get heated. Yeah, I'm just audio fucking. I hate audio shit. <laughs> I hate audio shit. Um, well, Sean, that's actually, you know what? That's a good That's a good segue into exactly what we're talking into about. Into what we're talking about. Because I think that I think that the thing that you start to realize the more you do something like this, which is... Uh, creation of video work in any sense is that audio is a gigantic part of it audio you, is huge and if you try to do it yourself you are an idiot 
Not even yeah. if you try to do it if you're not that knowledgeable in it. No, it's not. I mean, like, the problem is, is that, here's the thing. I think there's there are audio people, and there are shooters, and there are cinematographers, and there are directors, and there's all these different people. And there are these different roles for a reason. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you, if you are looking at your frame, and you're so into that moment, you, even if you're wearing the headphones, and you're monitoring your levels, and you got an eye to see if that red is peaking on the bar you're not there with it enough to really know or, or to even be paying attention to it. Or when you're setting up four different lights, you've got your mic and the only thing you're thinking is, I hope that's not casting a shadow on my scene. So story time already. Go for it. So one of the, a documentary that I was making for a football team, one, so I was using just a road. We didn't have, it's university. We don't have crew, <laughs> man. I was the crew. And, so the person asking the questions was there. I didn't know this, but the whole time I had forgotten to plug in the fucking mic into the camera. So I'm sitting there with one camera on my shoulder because I had a rig. I had one camera on the tripod. And then at the very end, she was like, she looked at the piece plugged that wasn't plugged in to the audio port. She's like, is the audio going to be fine? And I fucking lied right to her face. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fucking beautiful played it back and I was like damn this sucks <laughs> <laughs> well I, did, I actually had the exact same thing happen where I went to a uh... go a little you had to go a little closer alright here we go I'm getting I'm getting pull the arm pull the arm pull the arm closer oh, I got that's why I bought here. it for you there we go yeah I'd get comfy though there you go there you go there this go. feels good okay. there you go uh, I had the exact same thing happen I went to uh, I had this shoot for like New York Fries but it was it was like their um, internal videos Oh, and the corporate internal the corporate shit. shit yeah yeah so we're we're shooting this thing in a mall at like 9 p.m with like like janitors like we needed backups so they could mop the floor where we were at one point like it was so weirdly low production and for that we only had the director who was also shooting myself shooting and i believe that was it we had like a pa that was running around but i don't really know exactly what he was doing and uh he uh or at some point we're shooting and I look down midway through the scene and the lab, the pack that's supposed to be on his camera is just sitting in front of the register. So not only is it sitting, (laughs) not only is it not attached to his camera, but it's in the shot that we've been shooting for the past like 40 (laughs) minutes. Like I've been on the close up, so I haven't been looking at the wide shot. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I mentioned, like, I just kind of like called it out to him, but, within ears of the executive New York fries guy who was on set. So you had the client on, on set. Yeah. What dude is, I got fired from that shoot. Why? I got fired from that shoot because, um, here's, okay, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I firmly believe that you should definitely, anytime you're on a shoot, you definitely have to safety first. Always. Yeah. Got to make sure that people are fine. You, if you are willing to, risk your own neck for your own shoot and you want to shoot on some train tracks for whatever reason, you go ahead and do that. But as soon as you're involving other people and stuff like that, you have to make sure that they're safe. Sure. Totally. Um, we were in the middle of a shoot on this New York fries thing and they were going to bring out the, uh, I remember it was like butter chicken poutine, but it came in like this big, like the butter chicken itself came in this big, heavy container. Mm -hmm. And when they came to bring it out, uh, I was asked to move a tripod, but I was holding my camera and I didn't 
from where I'm sitting, I was sitting up on a counter with my legs crossed. I didn't really have anywhere to put it in a hurry. So I kind of just was looking around for a place to put it down. And uh, as I do this, the director's like, hey, can you move it? He's waiting. And I was oh, like, well, what's no. more important, the poutine or my camera? As a joke, and I smiled at the guy as I said it, the guy yeah. holding the big thing of poutine. Um, and that was enough to get me fired from... I didn't get fired while we were on set. I got a... Uh, I never want to see that guy on my set. Dude, again. what a fucking asshole that guy is, though. Because what, you were probably using, what, like a red? Uh, no, at the time, this is going back like... Oh, this going back is like years ago. Years. I was shooting probably on like a, like a 7D or something. Damn. Yeah. And he wanted his fucking jerk chicken. He wanted his butter chicken in its holster immediately. What a and you know what the thing was? Bitch. Is that he wasn't actually even coming by at that moment. It was like, move the tripod so that he can come by. So it's not even like anyone's safety was at was being risked but uh dude but that's what that's happens fine. when you have like what is what are your thoughts on like so i did a shoot a little while ago mm. and uh it fell under i'm gonna ask you about this too because i think this is big it was a free shoot it was a new company it was a soccer company really cool guys um but they just didn't have any money and i believe them because i, I showed up and it was like five people there and i'm like okay this you know and he, the guy's like dude th these are just screen printed because i don't have any 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 money what are your thoughts on like f on, on doing free shit? See, okay, we almost got to talking about this before the podcast yeah. started. Um, I am more I'm more inclined to choose that kind of work now than I used to be. Uh, well, then, uh, hold on, you're gonna have to like cut around yeah, this yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I am more likely to enjoy those shoots over what I've been doing. There's this weird, uh, so background about me, mm -hmm. I guess background about Sean O'Neill <laughs> is that I went through, like I was a broadcast editor for a little while. What do you mean by like at CBC, uh, CTV for a little bit. Oh, and then okay. I jumped to a startup company called Hollywood suite, which was cool. Cause mm -hmm. they, um, they didn't have on air elements. They had nothing. So I got to start from like the ground up and, literally learn after effects while i was making their elements which was kind of cool so you were like a net new job over there like yeah. brand new oh, oh like shit. I, there was one guy in creative services and it was me and i was 20 i turned 22 my second week on the job damn yeah uh and then i went from that to do, 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 do. i worked at the family channel for a little while making kids content yeah you told me that, that was one, fun yeah. uh and then i decided to start my own thing because kids content isn't completely fulfilling you know, the only thing about kids' content is there. there's so many rules that you're not allowed to break, and and everybody is like, but how close can we get to breaking them? That you feel like you're like the lawyer of the entertainment industry. You're like, yeah. I mean, he said he enjoyed his time. It doesn't mean that he loved the toy. Or, or no, it was like, uh, here's a good example. We could tell you when the movie was going to be in theaters, but we couldn't tell you to go see it. That's like beer commercials, stuff like that. It's yeah. almost like you can't, like you can't explicitly, you can't explicitly coerce people into doing things like that, and especially because they're kids. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's kind of like it's well, that. and and I agree with that. It's yeah, just it totally. was the other yeah. side of things where it was like, hey, like you go through like your script writing and you go through like nine rounds of revisions because 
the client really wants you to say this is the best toy that's ever come out. I hate revisions. And man. you can't say, oh, revisions when you've already shot and edited something. Yeah. It's like, I didn't give you my half-assed effort for the first one. I gave you what I thought the best edit possible for this was. And now you're telling me it's not good. Dude, dude. Okay, so I can't talk too much shit because unfortunately they're my full-time employer. But what I will say, (laughs) what I will say is the other night, okay, a long time ago, long time ago, we had a 20- The other night a long time ago. The other night a long time ago, we had a 21-hour shoot. Okay, 21 hours. There's no way this was yesterday. There's no possible way it was yesterday. It was probably a long time ago. Okay. 21 hours. <laughs> you can laugh. It's fine. <laughs> 21 hours we were at this shit, okay? Yeah. We were at the last thing we needed to shoot. And mm. the problem was the script was approved, okay, from top to fucking bottom. And then the last thing, okay, someone approved it without asking any questions. So when it was time to shoot it, the whole scenario was wrong. Oh. The steps in which people needed to do whatever they needed to do was completely fucking wrong. So we had to sit there and the the uh, the people who are familiar with the content had to had to like make some calls at 11, 12 at night and say, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Can we do this? Is this what it's supposed to be? But at the same time, it's like if you're approving scripts or if you're in if you're doing scripts and you're one of the people that need this content made, aren't you like ground zero for when this shit is thought of and put together and go yeah yeah that's right or that's wrong is that is I mean, that you would think so right you would think so not in this case it's uh well i mean i just had the same sort of thing happen where i was working on a project for <clears throat> let's just say a toy company mm-hmm. and uh i go to shoot it and it was a pirate sort of like the toy itself had stuff to do with pirates mm-hmm. so as i'm writing the script for it uh I was incorporating different, like at one point a pirate hat's going to come on. And then at another point an eye patch is going to come on. And then we're going to get like a sword and one person's going to hold the sword up to the other person. And that was in the script from day one and went through whatever it was, all the revisions. And we get on set and they go, oh, um," or it wasn't, you know, actually what happened? Did I tell you you got attacked by a homeless person? No, but I feel I like come, I'm jumping I, around. No, it's fine. It's a podcast. It's totally cool. But when I first talked to you earlier in the week about doing this, that was the first thing you fucking said to me. I was like, yeah, was, I got attacked by a homeless guy. I got attacked really by a homeless guy. Work but right no, I was fine. It didn't, it, I was completely unaffected for everyone concerned at home. Well, who started the fight though? <clears throat> it wasn't me. Was it film um, related? Was it what? Was it film related? Was it video? It, well, related? I was on set. Oh, yeah. this happened on set? Yeah. That's so, why. That's why I didn't want you to tell me on the phone because I'm like, yo, this is gonna be good. Okay, Sean, <laughs> how did you get attacked by a homeless guy? This is like a this is like a Louis C.K. bit. Like we yeah. have gone from thing to thing to thing and never finished the. Thought. That's fine. But that's all right. All that's right. okay. I. Uh, <laughs> the point was gonna be to the original thing is yeah. that they had so much time to correct the, the sword, and they oh yeah because they were like oh it's kids content we shouldn't have a sword and it wasn't until we were about to shoot it and the girl held up a sword in her hand that they were like whoa okay maybe not let's put the sword away it looked a little too violent well it was just like it was a halloween two dollar sword that i bought it looked plastic but did but it it was intense it was a little intense dude quick sidebar yeah i mean podcast whatever whatever happened to that hatchimals commercial i had to edit for you <laughs> <Did> <laughs> it, came it came out it came out yeah, we, god it damn it. 
Sean asked me to make a Hatchimals commercial. Not make. He They had shot it. And the most mind-blowing thing about that is once I saw the footage, you told me that you guys had shot it on Ari Primes. And I was like, this, this was shot on... Like, you guys, whoever the company was, was like... Damn. I think it was Spin Master. I could be wrong. If, if I said that wrong, I apologize to whoever we work for. But um, just like the kind of gear, though, that was like present. You said, oh, yeah. You said I mean, sh- the house alone that we paid for to shoot that in, I think, was like, oof, I probably can't say. Um, but it was like in the thousands just to just to be for the in day. the place to shoot for the day. Holy we paid shit. we paid a, like this woman to come out and be a grandmother where I was uh, editing and I was a edit supervisor. For that project so what that means is that they didn't have budget for an ad so i got to be edit supervisor mm. and I had to keep everybody on schedule but also make sure that this was actually going to be possible to cut together yeah yeah no i just remember like the ludicrous amounts that it's honestly and i think well if i can if i can circle back to yeah, yeah, yeah. to one of your original questions which was uh how like if somebody, if a company approaches you and you have, they legitimately have no money mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out how to make something work. That is such a weirdly right now. And I know it doesn't seem that way, but that is such a like gift of a project in a, in a sense. Really? Like a free, like a doing it in sort of pro bono is a, is a, in a sense. And I'll say why, because the, honestly, the, the, what's on your shoulders at that point is so little. And, and the idea that they don't have a branding team behind them, they don't have this, this whole team that's going to get in the way of creating something that you actually feel like creating. That's a good point. Man. Is yeah. you can get to something great in your own eyes. The reason why I say that it, it, it's a gift is in a sense, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure in a sense. And, and, why I say that is because like I did a project earlier this year where I uh, I shot with my own camera with my own equipment the whole budget for the entire shoot was 800 bucks it's a friend of mine and he's he it was a shoot for I don't think I mind saying it it was a shoot for Perry Ellis for that shoot he came to me and he said I don't know what I want but I want it to feel like a like a cologne ad I want it to have that that feeling to it and I want a I want to use my voice for the first time he's never spoken on anything he's ever done before he's just been basically like a model for the oh so that one was the first time he's so ever the used... first time oh, he's like wow. I'm a little bit nervous about it and, and whatever so I was like okay let's take you and let's have you talk to your best friend okay and in that sense just make it comfortable and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna shoot you we it ended up being like 45 minutes of me shooting a conversation from the side yeah and yeah, yeah. uh because i just i, I and i they, we were on like a 135 millimeter and for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what that means uh we were right up in his face from like 12 feet away damn like to the point where we're looking at lips and then we're looking at eyes yeah yeah one yeah. at a time and yeah. it was just so that i could use if he i could use the emotion of his face but i could also use his lips when I needed them. And I don't think I cut back to it more than a couple times during the entire thing. Most of it was out of focus. And, but that's the thing you can't go on set with a client, shoot someone's face almost a hundred percent out of focus for most of it because he's rocking back and forth in his chair. Cause he's nervous about using his voice for the first time. 
You can't shoot that and then say, but trust me, it's going to work. Because they don't. They've just watched you basically fail with a camera. Yeah. And on, on top well, of that... Well, in their opinion, have... in their opinion, you've just failed because they went, they went, hey, there's no detail. There's no... F- he's out of focus. It's like, yeah, but be quiet for a minute and let me do my thing. I had... When we, when we came into that shoot, we had no script. We had no idea what he was actually going to say in the end. But if you watch something like a, perf- a perfume, a cologne ad, whatever it is... I but can- you... Like, I came into that set because it was limited time. Again, so, so the entire budget... Was I don't mind saying it. The entire budget was eight hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. I spent seven hundred and eighty-two dollars on asking crew to do it as a favor and going to home hardware and building a set. the The set itself was two by fours and plywood that I I created a wall. So that we could, and then I got him to bring in his own magazines, and we sta- oh, we ripped oh. them up and stapled them to the actual. Did he help out? He helped. He actually out. he did. He showed yeah. up for the for stapling the magazines, yeah. which I which I could not stand doing. So when he started doing it, it was such a relief. Yeah. Um. But uh, I made eighteen dollars, and I probably made negative fifty, like in whatever in in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah. But. It's my favorite thing that I made this year, dude. It was it. That was a dope. That was fucking dope. That project, and man. I appreciate it. And that was, and you know, we were talking earlier about using red, and yeah. how that's that has that name that's like branded to it. Um, and honestly, I when I shot the test clips when he first showed up earlier in the day, I used my uh, my black magic, and I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't looked at the scene before, so I'm looking at, I'm just really trying to look at focal length and I'm trying to look at like, this was a 16 foot wall in a 16 foot space. So it was like, I needed to really see where I could move without starting to see all the other shit in the space. Yeah. But see at that wide though, you're going to get some distortion. Depending on, yeah, depending on the lens, right? So that was like, uh... At 135, obviously, we're covered, but can we go to 24 in this set? Can we go... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Can we go to 16? And if we do go to 16, is it going to ruin the the feel? Is it going to feel too bulbous and, and not... I feel like when you get... Especially when you're working with like full-frame stuff like that, when you get to like 16 and 14, even 24, it has that... I don't want to... Like it has that... Not amateur look, but it has that... It squeezes, and you start to notice it, and it's... If you don't want something to look epic and big and scary and 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 in my experience anyway, if you don't want anything to look big and larger than life, like what you were doing was like a narrative. Yeah. Right? It was a narrative. Yeah. So to to have like a 24 on there or like an 18, it I feel like it would warp you out of that. Although we did we did shoot with the 24 and that was all right, we shot with the 16 at 1.2 and that was everything that we shot from the ground looking up and dollying back and the idea was to make it like make his feet look you know two feet bigger than they actually are like make uh, this, yeah give this this larger than life expression to the actual space yeah because what we were trying to create was almost the feel of like an attic that was or or an apartment building that had nothing else in it that was just ripped up magazines and mm, and and okay. slowly Actually, the idea of ripping up the magazines didn't come into play until the last uh, 10 minutes of the day. Well, I, I say 10 minutes, but it was probably like an hour. 
um, <laughs> where <laughs> last hour of yeah, the shoot, the last hour of the shoot where everyone just wanted to go home, and I was like, oh man, you got to rip up the magazines. Um, no, we had this whole set where we have magazines stuck to walls, and we have magazines all over the ground, and for no reason, for seemingly no reason, um, and realistically there was we had had no talks about this i wanted to create a cool set and i created a cool set and i shot it yeah um and then the idea was as he was going through his interview he started there were so many insecurities coming through and a lot of the insecurities uh and i hope that i'm not overstepping saying this if christian ever listens to this and i feel fine saying it because if you're going it's going to be 40 40 views maybe yeah (laughs) if that (laughs) but if christian ever listens to this it's um he knew at the time this entire thing is about his insecurities so to be going through a magazine and ripping out every single thing that does not conform to the image that you have for yourself and then taking the few that it does and posting it up on a wall for you to look at and aspire to it felt like every 14 year old kid i've ever known every kid that's ever like taped a thing to their wall because they admired a band or they liked the nintendo 64 ad that they were looking at or whatever it was and that's and 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 again to circle back just to hopefully not make this the longest circle back of all time that's why when you get to work with these people who you know it's a soccer company it's whatever i think the idea in ask the question you have to ask yourself is like does it matter to me what I'm going to create and like nobody, nobody, I think at that level, somebody says, Hey, can you do this for free? Hey, can you do this for 50 bucks? Hey, can you come up for 200 bucks this weekend and shoot this thing, edit it, put it together and whatever. Nobody's thinking your first question is always, does this matter? Do I care about what this is? And, and sometimes it's just, do I care about the person that I'm making this for or what, and or whatever. And I've, I've been in those situations too, but it, I, I like I, I look at it like does it interest me? Yeah. Yeah. Well and and can I get a shot out of this or a dozen shots out of this that I'm gonna really like and want to take with me? Yeah. I hate to say yeah. for a reel, because I'm one of those people that cuts a reel once every five years. Not even no, not even a reel. I, th- I that's a valid point, but I, I think I think it if you look at a project and it's going it, it helps with what you like doing. Yeah. Like what your style is or what you wanna end up making in the long run like this soccer thing it was 100 percent free but at the same time i was like i'm gonna do it the way i i want to do it like i want to make it look like the style in which i want to have all my projects fall under so i'm like i'm gonna make it a little gritty i'm not gonna have a gimbal it's gonna you know hand sort of hand like in a cage not a fucking handheld but sure in a cage with a handle and uh it's like i want to make it like that and he's like dude do do whatever you want. So I said, this this serves a purpose for me. You know what I'm saying? But that, And that's such a great place to be where you can step back and say, like, I actually have a purpose to be here. Like, I've shot on, and this isn't braggadocious in any sense because I think the actual project itself is something that disinterests me entirely. But I've been on the set for $150,000 shoots mm-hmm. where shit. you've got yeah. a crew of whatever 30 people that are all running around doing this and i'm sure to some people that's small potatoes and i'm not saying that it's not but and and you're shooting a 30 second commercial in one day and it's going to be edited the next day and it's going to be out by the end of the week and the entirety of this money is just going to it's such a weird place that 
we get to where it's like everyone has to be paid for their rate for their time we're gonna go we might go an hour over so let's make sure people are compensated let's yeah. make sure we've got the catering truck that's got subs so that we're bringing out fucking noodles in a cup yeah. so that people are happy at at two o'clock in the afternoon because we've been working for six hours god help us oh fuck. and it's like yeah. like for anyone who has ever been in this industry and done it from from having well ever you know anyone who has ever picked up a camera and you started shooting and you shot for yourself and then eventually you were shooting whatever you go to feature films you go yeah. to whatever you you want to do with your time and your effort you started from shooting for 12 hours a day because it was fun what was the first ever project that you remember working on that you were shooter editor director produce whatever like the first one i can tell you right now i know hit me i know yeah. it well, okay. There was the first, the first, the, <laughs> the first thing you were paid for. Oh, the, the first thing you were paid for. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before oh, okay. you got the money in your hand, you're like, "Yo, I can make money doing this." Like, what Where was, I was the first thing? Editor? No, because see, that's not even that's not even a good story. That's actually well. Okay, here's the thing. So the first thing I ever shot, edited, produced, and and made like one man band. One man band. I was in grade eleven, and it was for an ISP. Like it was for my final project, and I shot it with my. I had just bought a MacBook. Ooh. And I would I shot it with the eyesight of the MacBook, running around holding my laptop and and looking down at like mirrored view, of what I'm oh. shooting and angling it and shit. Wow! And honestly, to this day, I wish I had a copy of it because my MacBook crashed and I lost everything. But I had done, like, and that's I guess that's sort of where where I was where I was going and and where, is not to be not to be pessimistic, but like there's this weird thing where. The longer you go and the more legitimate your projects get, you start to, it's a weird thing where it becomes seemingly or, or not so seemingly about the money involved in doing it. Like I've, I've done projects this year alone that I can hundred percent told you, it, tell you it was one of my best paychecks of the year and I did it for the money. And that sucks really when you look back at yeah. it, because like, I think we all get into this. Nobody gets into this thinking I'm going to make a pharma plus commercial i'm gonna make yeah no yeah i'm gonna make a commercial yeah. for hemorrhoids cream i think everyone, like nobody nobody has that as their dream no but you right. do those things right. because because you tell yourself that you're fueling the projects what's that you next care about. yeah what's and hopefully next? it's not just telling yourself but you actually are moving towards yeah it. i remember i was i was working for a company off the when i first started freelancing and they said if you uh well, they, they were talking about my gear and what I was bringing to the shoot and they were like, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, ah, I've been freelancing now like three months. And they were like, wow, you got a lot of gear. And they were like, we try to put 10% of every paycheck into gear. And I was like, I put 92% <laughs> of every paycheck I get into every gear because I still love it because yeah. it's still buying toys and it's yeah. still it's still building into something. And I think somewhere along the, the way, you forget that you you got into this because you wanted to tell a story you want to shoot some cool you want shit. to make cool shit you want you to wanted you... to make some cool shit yeah there's actually i watched a thing today on michael bay which Dude, is michael funny. bay i don't give a fuck what people say about <laughs> michael bay he okay from a story standpoint yeah man i walked out of the transfer i don't even remember what transformer it was but it was when fucking optimus prime emerged from the fucking forest riding a t-rex that was when i went <laughs> okay yo that's an, that's enough for me thank you michael bay I'm I'm gonna leave now because this was enough. But at the same time, it's like you can't fault the world, the worlds that he's created. 
No, see, of course not. You know I, what I mean? Well, I think the well the thing that I was watching today was like it was like if you had a gun to your head, could you prove that this guy is a extraordinary filmmaker? That was oh. almost that was almost the the thing that they're going by. Yeah. Here. But what was amazing about it was they they said that Michael Bay. Not only did he go very early on in his career to work with David Fincher, and he was he was part of a uh, an organization of some sort that was a that was representing both of them. Yeah, I think it was actually David Fincher and an, another guy's company, and then and Michael Bay ended up a part of it. This is weird history lessons for no, anyone this listening. Is, this is sick though. I'm interested but, because but they said the first film that he ever made was about a guy who got a Porsche or a Corvette or something and drove it fast. That was, was the it. movie he made. When you look at his films, that was the movie he continued to make. And they were, they were talking and they were like, does that make him a bad filmmaker? And they were saying like, if you see a shot and you're like, yeah, that shot's from a Michael Bay film, then that guy's a fucking artist because he has a style. He has told you, yeah, it might be like the standing up slowly with a long lens rotating yeah, around them. Dude, they, oh, the, mic, the, the, the bad boy shot. The bad boy oh, shot. Oh, everyone that's the knows shot. the fucking bad that's boy the, shot, that's man. That's the shot. But oh, man. It, it, might be, it might be that shot, and it's, it's, it's stereotypically him because it's stereotypically him. But, but it's so, it yeah, is. Man. That doesn't yeah. mean that he's any less of an artist because he has built and grown off his influences, and he's created some pretty cool shit. And at the end of the day, I think we get to this point where we consider ourselves filmmakers. We consider ourselves storytellers, um, cr- storytellers yeah. and creators in any sense. And then you start going to like films and you're like, why did this guy get a shot? He made a shitty film. Why did this person, you know, like, and uh, I step back and anything, you know, this is when, back when Netflix had, I think they have like up thumbs up and thumbs down now. Okay. But yeah, back when they had five star rating, it was like a principle to myself that if I finished watching your shit, you get five stars because I know how fucking hard that is. Yeah, that's a good finish. point, dude. That's a yeah, that's pretty. If sweet. I got to the end of it because I actually cared enough to make it to the end of your film, yeah, you fucking succeeded, and that's all you need to do. And that's, I think, in a in a global audience, we get to this part where you get a you get a Marvel Cinematic Universe, and every single person is like, well, sorry, every single movie ties into it, and every every toy ties into it and they've got comic books that lead into it and they've got this um, this incredible thing and then you go and you go well what about this guy that wrote a story about a guy who sits in a car for 45 minutes and that's the entire thing and people don't have the patience for it they don't have the the wherewithal for it and it could be an amazing film or it could not be but i mean dude if i watch like a whole season of riverdale and i can get to the end of it well like, then you bravo your, man then you earned your fucking five yeah, stars yeah totally you got me to the end 100%. of your shit and it's so funny when people are like because I have buddies who are just like yo Michael Bay fucking sucks and I go dude the guy it, did you know his original like the, the thing that he got the most notoriety for when he first started yeah when he first started was um, he made a milk commercial but when you look at that old milk commercial it's like an old milk commercial it's gotta be from the early 90s or something like that he uses the same angles that he does in his movies where it's like this wide-angle lens pitched a little bit, like a little bit of the, the English, or uh, what's it called, Dutch angle. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's sort of twisted, and, but it's like an 11-millimeter lens, and it's just a big, wide... If you go back to the history of film, like American film, because it was a novelty when it first came out, that's sort of the way that he interprets film. You go back to the very history of film, in Europe, film was always... Um, 
film was always a social way of, 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 of having your voice. Um, a guy named Zago Vertov, who's a guy that has the dopest quote of all time about film, and it's, I am the machine that shows you the world as I alone am, am able to show you. Okay, Ooh. that's a guy named Ziga Vertov who who created the cinema verite style of filmmaking, which is just like at the time it was just basic documentary shit. Like I think he created the original fly on the wall type of cine- type of filmmaking, right? All right. So that was Europe. Europe had a lot of social content in their film, whereas in America it was just it was a novelty. It was the crank film where you put your eye in and, and you put a quarter in and you just saw shit moving. So Michael Bay... It was entertainment over substance. It was entertainment over, over, entertainment over substance. So it's sort of funny that the North American way of filmmaking and the European way of filmmaking, it's different, but that's just the way that filmmaking originated. But then you have guys like Michael Bay who... Ne- Bay will never win an Oscar or anything only because of what... What he brings to the what he brings to his films, which is just like it's loud, it's crazy, but at the same time, it's like you have to. But they have to be good in order for that to happen. Like Bad Boys Two to me is one of my favorite movies, just because it's the storyline is like it's kind of weak, but at the same time, it's fucking so entertaining. You know, there's man. four four screenplay writers on Bad Boys. <laughs> what? There's four writers for the original Bad Boys movie. To make that, to they, make needed that they needed writers. four writers. The quote from the thing I was watching today, which I'm going to misquote. So, Michael Bay, if you're listening to this, mm. I'm so sorry because I'm. Yeah, Michael sure. Bay, if you're missing, if you're listening to this, you know we're about to start shooting on red. Careful. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, he had a quote that was like, uh, uh, again, I'm going to misquote. Yeah, it's but, fine. It's fine. But it was like, I don't change my style for anyone. Pussies do that. Mm. That was the quote. But, and here's here's the thing that I think that ties back nicely to that whole, you know, $200, $800 yeah. free projects versus $150,000 commercials is, and, and the fact that, that Michael Bay would shoot a milk commercial with an 11 millimeter lens on a Dutch angle is, to me, like, holy shit. Like, you, you actually lived up to your word of, like, all right, I'm not going to actually curb my style. And the the amount of times, and honestly, uh, again, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm, I'm, I'm edging out between continuing commercial work or, or moving outside of it. And that's because the, the soul-sucking part of commercial work is largely not doing ads for things that you might not 100% buy yourself. That's always a weird one when you're like, I'm going to spend three weeks, four weeks, four months shooting a, talk shooting a commercial, commercial or editing it, putting it together. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a thing I would ever buy for myself. That's a weird place to actually get to for yourself. Um, but I guess the 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 worse what makes it worse is that you've now shot this thing that you think is the best thing you've ever shot and you put it together and you deliver this thing and you're like I am so nervous to hear what they say about it they because as in, they as in they like, as in the client whoever yeah, whoever you're okay. working for whoever has the final which say, probably has it's have the producer never... on a feature film it's it's yeah. whoever you have to report to because I don't 
Well, you, it's, it's that idea of I've now created the thing I want to create. Are you comfortable enough to accept it? And then you get to, you get to points where you're, you're working for continued clients where you go like, I'm not going to shoot it the way that I would shoot it because I know they won't like it. And those are always the parts that, I mean, this is called the starving artist podcast. Exactly. That is that the part where you're hung, you're, you're well fed and no longer an artist. But you tell yourself that I'm going to create this because I'm going to, you know, fuel that next big thing. Yeah. But really, you've got bills to pay. You've got Friday nights out, Saturday nights out, Monday nights out. I don't know when people go out. And that's what I think is so great about this podcast. If I can take a step out for two yeah, seconds. Yeah, that Please. You've called it the Starving Artist Podcast, which we have all felt like at one point or another. In our yeah. Lives. I personally... There's no way my mother would ever let me starve if I no, needed, if totally. I needed a place yeah. to crash. And Never. that's almost. And there's been times where I'm like, is that a detriment? Am I not? It's it's definitely never a detriment because if it was a detriment, I would be I would be working at a grocery store for a minimum wage as I have in the past yeah. for anyone listening. Yeah. Um, Put a little closer. Just uh, right no, here. No, no, like no, pull the arm though. You can sit okay. back as long as yeah, the arm. I mean, yeah. There you go. Um. There you go. So, yeah, jumping back into that thought, like, if you... There's a certain privilege, I guess, to be able to work on the thing that you want to work on. And that's why they call it Starving Artists, because you have to literally choose between what everyone else wants in life and what you want. Like, you either get to create... Or you get to like live comfortably. Mm, yeah. And it's a really hard place to get to where you have to choose between which one matters more to you. And sometimes it's not even living comfortably. I mean, like we live in Toronto, it's expensive. Rent is high. Yeah. There is there's a million and one things that are picking at your pocket. But when it gets down to like you really find out what's important to someone when you limit their resources. If you if you say you got a hundred bucks for a week and I'm gonna walk I'm gonna step back and figure out what, and you show me what you're gonna do with it. And to some people that's a lot of money, to some people that's no money at all. But a hundred bucks to get to through a week, some people might go like that's gonna cover half my food. How am I gonna live? I gotta figure this out. Yeah. I gotta go, whatever. And there's other people that are like, I'm gonna buy cigarettes and I'm going to develop three rolls of film. Because you really see what matters to people in those in yeah, those when situations. You're strapped when it when it comes time to like pony up and be like, "Yo, you have no money, but you still have to like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna fucking buy a six pack and and watch Netflix all week, or are you gonna buy a template and make something, kind of thing, right? Or and that's exactly it. Yeah. And there's there's a point where um, I mean, I've had this, I've I've had people in my family come to me friends come to me and they're like, it seems like whenever you start to get successful, you, you get bored of that thing and you leave it. And I don't think that's entirely true. Are you talking about you personally? Or no, just me, personally. me personally. Oh, so yeah. just, okay. So, okay. Um, I think that whenever you start to get successful, you step away from that thing that you were succeeding at. And I think that they're not entirely wrong, but I think that people have different ideas of what success is so when you get to the point where you're like 
like we can go right back to this $800 versus $125,000 project. So, or $150,000, whatever it is. Um, if you create something and it costs you a quarter of a million dollars to create, but you're not happy with it and you did it for the paycheck, but it paid your rent and it paid your grocery bill and it got you through and, and like, you know, it's a good maybe point you, to maybe make, you went yeah. on a trip, maybe you saw Bermuda, maybe you did some stuff with your life. I'm not going to say that that's the wrong decision to make. You, and I'm not going to say that I personally wouldn't make that decision mm -hmm. when it comes down to it. Um, but if you took some $800 project and at the end of the day, you can show that piece of work to people and say, I made this. I'm proud of this. This is my art. I think a lot of like a lot of what we lose in this industry because it is profitable is that idea that if you if a company can come to you and say, hey, I like your style, you can sell my shoes with that style. Here's 10 grand. You could go, well, shit, I could use 10 grand. That sounds good. All right, cool. I'll advertise your shoes. And you walk down. You, you, you lend your abilities to something. And I think, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that by any means, but then you hand that project to them and they say like, ah, it's, you know, it doesn't really conform to our, to what we do. So I think you need to change that and whatever. And again, I'm never going to say that how any, anyone else lives their life matters, but I know that if you are an actual person who cares about what they're creating and someone comes back to you and says, you need to conform this to who we are separate from who you are. It's never a good feeling. Dude, it's heartbreaking almost. It's, it's a hundred percent. It's almost like, especially if you give a shit, like there's a lot of guys and, uh, maybe you can speak a lot to this. Um, in terms of, because only because you've been, you've been doing it at a high level. Right, and I think you're a high level because, like I said, I respect the fuck out of what you make because you're like a commercial filmmaker. You're the guy that I go, God damn, like I wish I can work with a Red. I wish I could work with Volkswagen, like that kind of shit. I also respect the fact that I've been able to work independent, and I think that's where, where I like working is in the independent, that small little area in which you can sort of be the director, uh, producer, editor, whatever. I like that. But dude, you're like on a fucking other no, but planet not, but, than I am, right? No, but you don't. Even, well, like that's the thing is, like I've seen the things that you've been creating lately. Yeah, like since we've met, I've known I've known Mike for about a year and a half. A year now. Yeah. A year? Well, actually, coming up on a year. So no, coming up on long. a year. Yeah, not yeah. even that long. But I think in in the creative world, when you see other people's shit, you go, you know, I feel like I know you. I feel like I know. You're like what you want. I feel like I know you because I know what you want to do. But right. you will, but okay. And they're like, if, if the, if the majority of how we know each other is from what we've communicated to each other through like maybe social media, yeah. through text message or through whatever I say, Hey, sorry, man, I can't work on this thing this, this weekend. Cause I got a Volkswagen commercial and you go like, shit, this guy's working on Volkswagen. That sounds big. Yeah. But you will notice that my Instagram has no pictures from that Volkswagen commercial. I, I always intended yeah. at the end of that project to do a director's cut. And I, I probably will now that I have a little bit more time on my hands. Um, I worked with some incredible people. Yeah. And Volkswagen themselves as a company were fantastic. But they limited us to 30 seconds. They limited us to a minute. And by the time we were done shooting it, we had four days before we had to deliver. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the type of thing where you've rushed through what you wanted to create. Actually, the DOP on the project sent me a track. Um, I wish that I could remember the name of the track so I could give it a shout out. But it was called Love. And it was like by like... Uh, 
Korg something that's not even right. But anyway, it's fine. Sends me this cool track, and he's like, "Can you imagine if it was cut to this?" And Ooh, my response yeah. was like, "Can you imagine if we had the time?" Yeah. To figure out that we wanted to cut it to this, right? Because the or or the ability to or the like or a company standing behind you that has a quarter million dollars that can approach an artist and say hey can we give you 20 grand to license a track from you which to the average person is insane but in a commercial world it's like a drop in the bucket which is this weird thing where it's like they're not willing to spend it because it's bonuses it's whatever you can keep in house it's yeah to yeah, keep yeah. the budget as tight as possible so that you can actually but at the same time though it's you're you're doing it at the sake of doing of making good shit it is but then i also i also step back at times and i, I end up looking at um uh this dop that i work with who is uh usually when i'm directing he's shooting yeah and he has worked on things that are $150,000 budget so that means that he can walk into a studio have the set pre-built spend an entire day doing a pre-light so he can see what it looks like yeah and and troubleshoot any problems that he has with the lighting and then on the day just think about frame because it's already been lit to shit and he knows exactly what is going to be where and when and that is i don't there are times when feature films don't even get that kind of time to work on their shit and in that you get to really master your craft and think like, okay, if I put a 20 by silk on top of this thing and shoot fucking, I don't even know, like yeah, a thousand yeah. watts of light through it, what are we going to see? Because there's like, honestly, I'll, I'll give him a shout out. His name, his name is Hattie Azer. He mm. works for oh. Encounter Film Studios and oh, in I've Toronto. Heard of them. I've heard of in them. Toronto. Yeah, man. And he... Here's the thing. Here's here's what's incredible about that. You look at something like a commercial that's like completely flat. Mm-hmm. So that in the sense that like everything has the exact same exposure. Yeah. Intentionally. Um and you step back and you look at that and you go, well, to to the average person's eye it might look boring. It might not look like you haven't or or it might look like almost like an ad, like you just hit the whole thing with a flash or whatever, or it's been photoshopped. Yeah, but perfect. some of that, like you ever see those wealth simple commercials? Yes. That shit to me is like, man, that looks beautiful. But I know it's high key lighting and it's just painted. It's it's just painted with light, and everyone sort of. The only reason why they're not blending in with the background is because they're maybe in the foreground a little bit. And the shadows are like directly behind them, but it, to me, it just looks so beautiful. Well, now I'm saying, do a commercial for IKEA or do a commercial for Samsung's washing machine, yeah, and have there be no shadows. You have to light this entire thing and have have your actor look incredible, but there's no shadows, and that is where you really step back and go, like, for me, I could never do it. I don't know how to do it. Mm. I know how to light for a mood, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I won't even give myself that credit, but let's just say for the sake of argument, I could light for a mood. Yeah. But to go, I can take away everything that is real in this world and just leave behind this perfectly, um, I don't even know, equestered, is that remember? That's like a person who sits on a horse. A perfectly designed... <laughs> equestrian? A perfectly equestrian look? A perfectly equestrian, a perfectly equestrian set. <laughs> okay. No, uh, a perfect... Just, just, just something that just completely... Um, is exactly... It's, it's, it's a magazine photo shoot. It is... Yeah. 
it is perfect in every way. Yeah. But people are moving. And I think that that's like a thing that people largely miss when you look at a magazine ad. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's Photoshop and you can step back and you can work on one frame for four days to make it perfect. When you work on film, you do not have that luxury. No, you don't. And that no, is hard when people are used to high quality luxury. I left a salary. So I, I, I started working in freelance. It's nearly been 10 years now. and That's a long time too. Yeah. Damn. And then I, ju I jumped into, so I started freelance about 10 years ago. And then after about a year and a half of that, I got my first salary job. And it was like, oh, you've made it. Yeah. You are in the sense of like, you're now covered and you can, and you've got, you got that, that paycheck that's decent now. It's yeah. not, it's not your minimum wage paycheck and you can rely on that and you can, you can allocate resources into creating some cool stuff. That was, that was my, my idea. Um, and then once you work salary long enough, you just itch for that freelance again. Yeah. But then when you work freelance long enough, you itch for that salary again. It's always that exactly. grass is greener yeah. type yeah. of situation. But, uh, and that's all I would say to that is that if you're in that situation where you were like, I don't know if I want to be in one or the other, you probably want to be in both. And the, and it's just whether yeah. or not you are in the ability to, to, I've never, I've never been in a good situation to ever leave anything. I, I remember when I left the family channel, they toasted me with champagne. They threw me a party when I was leaving and they were like speech. And my speech was like, I must be an idiot because you're all fantastic people. And I, and I love working with you. Why am I leaving? And my, and my, I answered my own question and just like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and create some cool stuff. And I think I told every person when I, when I left within two days, I had a registered company and all that said to me was I now have a license to make cool shit. You can work for yourself. You can work for yourself. Yeah. And it's not a bad place to be. It's obviously, it's great. It's just where you, when you get to that point where you're like, I, I now need that next thing, but I can't afford it because I work for myself. Or like, I need that, um, and this is the this is the hard knocks truth of the situation is that like I probably have over the course of the past three years that I've been in this, I've created more of a stressful way of living than I needed to. When I lived in or sorry, when I worked in uh when I had my salary position going on, I created an entire web series. We did a feature length 120 minute web series that we put out while I had, you know, I actually used, uh, I used my three weeks vacation. So, okay. So it's actually a fun story. Yeah. So I yeah, created yeah, yeah. a web, I created a web series. Yeah. Um, this is going back now, probably like five years and I just got my first real salary job and it'd been about a year and I ran into a friend of mine. He was going to a comic book store that I lived above. Ooh. It just was like, we like rekindled spirits and uh, he was like, I got. In, he came up and spent ten minutes in my apartment. Three weeks later, I hear from him. He's like, Hey, I started writing a web series, and it's based on your apartment. Damn. And I was because I had a pretty cool. <laughs> I had like this two story apartment. Yeah, I was doing yeah. Pretty right. All right. And uh, 
he sent me the first three episodes. I read them and I was like, what can I read episode four? Yeah. He's like, I'll get it to you by the end of the week. He gets me episode four. I'm like, give me episode five. And he kept, it got me into such a great vibe of reading this that we basically planned it out. And within six months, I used two weeks Two and a, okay, so basically the first the first weekend it had to do with time travel, and but all all wow. all within one apartment. So we shot something in my apartment over a weekend. Yeah. The next weekend, I painted my apartment, my entire apartment, a different color. And then the weekend following, we spent two and a half weeks shooting the bulk of the entire oh, thing every single cool. day yeah that's we cool. spent 10 to 12 hours Damn, 14 cool. 16 hours whatever it was getting through shooting that day's script yeah and then when it finished it was in post for like a year because it was like who's who was in post with you or him no the thing is we handed it off to a, uh, a like a junior editor she was supposed to be like a story editor for anyone who doesn't know what post is post is like when you're done shooting something you edit, you color, like everything that happens after post shooting. There you go. There you go. That's that's a good explanation of it. Um, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, but no, no. But you, <laughs> the no, people that are listening to yeah, this, exactly. the seven friends that I have, <laughs> just FYI, guys. So so when you uh, so sorry, we handed it off to a junior editor, and and she was just supposed to sort of put the story together, and then I was gonna get like a like I was gonna look at it and then work with it. And she spent six months on the first episode. Oh. And oh. it was just every couple of months we'd kind of tap her on the shoulder and she'd be like, right. yeah, I'm working on it. And we handed it to another guy after six months and he had our, our first episode in a week. Good for him. And we... That's how you do it though. It is. But like, we, we yeah. released it when we had six episodes in the can. We put the first one out with a weekly release. Mm-hmm. And cutting to 10 with four weeks, like getting seven, eight, nine, and 10 done in four weeks, uh, or six weeks, I guess, was the most stressful thing I'd ever done. Uh, I think we ended up doing like a two-week hiatus just because I was like, 10 is not ready. Yeah. And we have been compromising. We've been... Isn't it crazy to have to create something that came from your brain? Like it came... It's an original story, and... You have full control over what happens to it, but isn't it crazy how more self-conscious you are? You want to hear something crazy? Yeah, I do want to hear something crazy. That you're 100% right, but the writer was a good friend of mine. We went to school together for this, and uh, still a really good friend. Um, the, the, we, had, we had set up a crew, uh, like six or seven friends of ours who went to film school. They ended up creating their own film company so we were like using this to like launch them and you guys could be a part of it and we'll all create this big thing together and uh three days before the first shoot they were like sorry we got something and it's a three-week shoot and our whole thing was based over three weeks we're gonna take it because it's an actual paying job i was gonna say yeah like a paying it was an actual and and I'm, i'm not i'm not one to ever like if I'm asking you to do free work and you call the night before and you say you got a gig, it's going to suck for me, but that's... It's sort of how it goes. It's sort yeah. of how it goes. Yeah. So, uh... You can't pass up free shit, especially if you're new and you're trying to... A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that goes to whatever. It goes to paying for your food. Like, whatever, whatever you need to do to get through, you get through. But, um... So, this entire web series was me and one friend. And I shot and he did audio. 
and that was and we shot the entire thing in a week and a half and then we shot pickups a year later damn yeah is it out now it's now out is it out anywhere well it's been out for like five years but i'm not gonna show you're not gonna show dude no this was give something a shout out this was something that i am i am insanely proud and that's why i give everything five stars on netflix because i am insanely proud that we just were able to finish it that doesn't exactly mean that i'm gonna give it this dude uh, give it give it some dude that's something that you created pump t- pump it <clears throat> who gives a shit because at the end of the day, someone told me this. Someone who's not even in the creative industry is just like, if someone likes it, they'll like it. And they'll like you for it. But if they don't like it, then they, they won't care. Right? Yeah. So if they like it, it means that they'll automatically just like you. They're just going to say, yo, Sean O'Neill made something that I like. And whatever Sean O'Neill makes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it because I just like what he has to say. That's a cool way of putting it. It doesn't mean that what you made is shitty. It just means that whoever likes it just likes you and goes, yeah, I'm going to... How many people do you think fucking hate Seth Rogen stuff? Does he give a shit? He's like, no, I'm going to make shit for the people who like me. You know what's funny is that you say that, and this is a perfect segue to... Yeah. Um, we did this this Volkswagen commercial, mm-hmm. and uh, again, for me, I mean, like, yeah, sure, I've been doing this, like, for a long time, yeah. but it's been a long time of, like, working on some shitty stuff. If I'm being honest, there's there's been there's been years of just working on stuff you didn't exactly believe in, or just you know what, literally just like a a couple of years of working at a company that was all right and the people were nice enough, and you just went out and drank and every weekend and had good fun with your friends. And you'd be surprised how many people are in your that position. Like I've never, I don't think I'm pessimistic in the sense that I would think that anything I've done has been the wrong decision. Or I feel like a lot of people look at that. They go like, oh, I should never have stayed with that job for six years or whatever because now I'm doing this and I wish I had done it three years ago. Well, but you're doing it now. So figure, yeah. figure out your life and stop stop making your age a big deal. Yo, ages, like, I'll ages a lot of people do that. People ages, get to like yeah. 40 and they're like, well, I guess I got to keep working in the coal mines because no, that's all I've ever done. you don't have to. And it's like you can figure it out and do something else. Dude, people do that, and especially where I'm from, people do that at like 20. You are 20 years old. I'm 28, especially in this, in a big city. It's oh, like people sure. look at you and go, oh, you're 28. Like, well, you're still a child. And you're like, if you're doing something creative that, that you know the journey is going to take a while, it's a compliment. And I feel like there's a lot of people that they look at that and go, oh, I'm, I'm not a kid. It's like, dude, if someone calls you a kid, take that. Take that and go, oh, shit, I still have a lot of time left. Yo, take that and run with it because I don't think anyone's called me a kid in like two years. Well, there you go. Miss it. I'm wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hat <laughs> and now I'm wearing it backwards. There you go. Okay? Because I'm trying careful. to be Careful, Sean's a badass, as man. Soon as, Sean as is a... As hard as I can. But, um, <laughs> but I'm just saying though, like, when you're in a big city like this, take, take your youth and run with it. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure, and run with it until you're old, and people are making fun of you for being old, and then realize you fucked up. And yeah, then, yeah. You know, work then then work at like Barnes and Noble or whatever you have to do to get through. Like I don't, but just just there's so many people. You know what's funny is that anybody who's ever come to me and they're confused about life, and they're like, I don't know what to do, man. Like I don't have any like calling. I don't have any direction. I'm like, cool, be an editor. And they're like, I can't, man. I don't know how to do it. I don't have the eye. I don't know how to do what you do. And I'm like, dude, it's Learn. the easiest thing in the world. That's why I'm doing it because I'm lazy as fuck. But you <laughs> but literally... But most of the time, someone someone else tells you how to edit it. At the, at, at, like, If you're doing something that's more like corporate and more like it's not as abstract, someone, will, someone tells you what they want, paste it in. Basically. You know what I mean? So it's not like... 
you just have to learn Premiere in the sense of like, this is how you take a clip, this is how you put it on the timeline. It, it, that's how you edit. It's not... Uh, the first time I ever worked professionally in my entire life, literally, okay, so I got a, I got an internship at CTV. I was super stoked. I got uh, this guy named Damon, still a really good friend of mine, Yeah, was my... Uh, I don't even know, did chaperone? Like, he would he would look over my edits and make sure everything was good, right? So they set me up for, like, an entire day of watching commercials to be like, this is what we create, pay attention, learn from it, and go. Okay. That's Monday. Tuesday, I'm cutting. Damn. So Tuesday, I'm on the floor. So they had you up and running And I'm cutting this thing. And I was like, I'm cutting a spot for lookalikes, which for anyone who doesn't know you're not in Canada or a person who sits at home for another TV all the time. <laughs> That's on Local, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Lookalikes is one of those shows. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just literally they take a kid and they make that kid look like a celebrity and that's the entire show. Nice. So when they so they set me up they give me the episode I'm supposed to cut it down to a commercial I, and I feel like I did it and I call them in like an hour later and I'm like yo bitch I'm done. Did this in an hour, man. Check it. Check my shit. I'm yeah. good. They sit down, and I the look of disappointment on their Whoa. faces as they're watching this thing. Wow. And I've just come from, like, film school, where, like, in film school, I'm editor of the fucking galaxy. Like, everyone loves my shit. Yeah. And I edit this thing. In the real world. In the real world. <laughs> edit something in the like, real world. And they're like, oh my god, you're so shit. Oh, no. They didn't but say that. Base, I mean, like, Damon In a nice way. Damon didn't pull punches. He was he was nice. He yeah. was nice about it. He was like, man, He's okay, like, what, look. What here's the, the thing. Yeah. You're shit. But take that as a compliment, because you're going to be good by the end of the week. Yeah. And, uh... going to be at this for 12 hours a day, so you're going to fucking be good. Exactly. He taught me some cool shit. He taught me what I was doing wrong. And, like... If I'm being honest, like it was a 30 second commercial and his, I, and, and it was for entertainment television type of thing. Yeah. And he was like, look, people just want to see flash. It just needs to move fast. It needs to grab them for a second and hold them for 28 and then you're good. So the idea was you're cutting at least once a second. And Ooh. I was like, okay. Ooh. And I'm, but, but when I looked at it, he, he walked away and I look at my edit, I've got eight cuts. I cut once every four seconds. I was not doing it properly. Yeah. Like to their standard at all. But I had spent an entire day watching how they edited. Yeah. But the thing is, is you're, you're young, you're 19. You feel like you've, you've conquered film school. You feel like you know everything. You watched Pan's Labyrinth. You know foreign films. Mm. You're fucking fine. Yeah. So you're you're just <laughs> yeah foreign film. Dude, I, well, goes back to the whole Michael Bay fucking Ziga Vertov thing. Well, exactly. Where it's just like like foreign films in Europe, but that's are totally different, man. There you go. What a commercial in Europe is probably one cut, and in, and here it's it's fourteen cuts a second. Because everyone's stupid. Because everyone just needs it flashed before them with a subliminal message yeah. that says, Trust me, you need Zola. You need this. You need this. Um, Fuck man, that's funny. But <laughs> <laughs> you need you need this cut fast because your attention span is 0.5 seconds. But that's literally what they what what yeah. the message was was yeah. like, dude, I have cut commercials. I did a for a little while I was doing America's Next Top Model and Britain's Next Top Model. Oh shit. And two different cuts, I bet. 
hundred percent too. Slightly big. different guy. You gotta focus on oh shit, what's her name? Tamara Tara. T- I've actually never seen either like never Who's the girl? The on big, what Brit- uh, Mer- British America's next time. Uh, I don't know. I I couldn't Anyways. tell you, man. So yeah, it's a little bit faster, but I swear in some of those things, you're looking at a thirty two a thirty second commercial and I cut it forty two times. <laughs> There's 42 cuts. And I was like proud of the fact that I could squeeze 42 cuts into it. I was lucky in that sense that within a week of an internship, I had something that played on TV. And that was like the thing. Um, like when you're that's in a school. Good, that's a big accomplishment though when you're coming out of school, man. You, I think, got, you think so? I've never been like, I've, I've, I, got, I got denied from every internship I ever fucking applied to. Good. <laughs> Why yeah, good, man? I signed in on Ty's shoes. Look, people get... Like, they have fucked up situations. Um, who else was it? Edgar Wright. Ah. Got rejected from every fucking film school he ever applied to. Really? No, I don't know if that's true. That's fine. But We're not going to fact check, so we'll Edgar- just go with it. I don't get <laughs> no, it. No, <laughs> he seriously... No, he got... He def- Edgar Wright, I know for a fact, got rejected from a ton of shit. And he made fucking Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. He made, uh, like, World's End. He made uh, Baby Driver. What is, what is your opinion on film school? So here's the thing. So like I said earlier, yeah. if you're bored and you don't know what to do with your life, get a laptop that can handle some video and be yeah. an editor. Because honestly, it's not that hard. And if you look at 92% of stuff that's out there, people don't know how to edit. So you're really, you're just in a, in a, in a field where you are going to succeed or be the norm. And the norm is fine. And yeah, that's, that's, and a good, honestly, that's a really good, that's a crazy, that's a cool way to put it. I mean, if you're, you're either gonna bored. you're either gonna be exceptional, or you're either gonna be run of the mill. And if you want to be exceptional, you literally will be. Here's yeah. the thing: a lot of a lot of attention needs like what you put your energy into is what you will predominantly succeed at, and and that is not. There's not if you want to if I tomorrow wake up and I'm like I'm gonna be a doctor I'll be a doctor in like ten years, because it takes that long to get through medical school. If I wake up tomorrow and I decide I want to be an animator, I'll be an animator in four years because that's how long it takes to get through animation school. If you really want to be something, you just go out and do that thing. And if you tell yourself that you can't because you don't have the skills, then I'm sorry, but you're a fucking moron because no one has the skills. Because I just told you I went through three years of film school, went to the my first broadcasting station cut a commercial and they told me i was shit that is and by so the end true. of the week that commercial went to fucking television <laughs> and they taught it's, you in that week how to do it but that's not there's no there's nobody who ever just did and then was done you get to success by being beat down by your failures Ooh, and as much as that in is this like, profession man especially in this profession. damn yeah yeah but as much as that is like Hard to hear. Like, I know. I put something... I put. I just finished a job where I know it wasn't color corrected 100% perfectly, but they didn't give me the time to do it. Yeah. So, it went to air... It shit went to YouTube. Unprepared for YouTube. When they come to me and they say, like, all right, I need this thing and it's also due out in two days, I'm like, cool, we're going to shoot tomorrow. I'm going to edit it tomorrow night. I'm going to color it into the wee hours of the morning and you get what you get. And then you'll tell me that you're not happy with it and I'll spend the next two hours doing my best to make sure that it's what you actually want. Um, and then it's, 
and then it's done. And and so much work is done that way that yeah. again, like I say, when you if you can work for somebody and they're like, We don't have brand guidelines, we don't know what we want, we just want you to take this and run with it and you're young and you're ambitious and you can, you should. And if they're paying you a hundred bucks and it's gonna take you two weeks to put together you know you're not spending two weeks on it. You're going to work your grocery store job and you're going to get through and you're going to figure it out. But just do it. Because honestly, at the end of the day, the things that you actually put your real energy into or you actually care about, like the last jobs, the last three jobs I've worked on, and this is coming from a person who has just made like a, a huge life-altering decision. Yeah. I was part of a studio for quite a bit of time. And it ate up all of my time. And this story, as most things transpire, I met a lady. A hey. lovely lady. Lovely lady. Uh, <laughs> who I uh, enjoyed spending time with. And then I got to the point where I was like, I've spent so much time only doing one thing. 60 hours behind a desk a week editing things you don't care about. And by the end of that week... You don't care to edit your own stuff because you've been so beat down with bullshit. bullshit. But at the same time, though, if you're editing something for yourself that you love, do you find the extra energy to do that? Well, that's what I think. You know, I had a I had a friend for a little while. I got heavy into like uh, like working out and dieting at one point in my life. Okay. Right? And I'm not there anymore. I'm eating chips and drinking beer on this podcast. But that's what happens when you come to the Starting Artist Podcast, everyone. You get fed. Uh, I had a friend who sent me a thing that said, uh, and I think the, the idea, the reason she sent it to me was because she wanted me to realize what I was doing. And the, the thing was, the quote was that willpower is a finite resource. And that the more you use it, the more you will expel in that resource and you won't have willpower anymore. And what she was applying to that to was the fact that I was regimented and like, I'm not going to eat your like cake and fucking come out drinking all night. And now I'm at the point where like, yo, you got some cake? Sean O'Neill, commercial cinematographer, editor, you know, super talented guy. There's a lot of people that are trying to do what we are fortunate enough to do. Um, I feel like you've gotten the intra- inside track and you've been able to fucking perform and be able to do what you do professional commercial work. What is some advice that you can give everyone out there who is trying to um, create the kind of stuff that you are creating now? Take something you actually care about and make it. And it's going to be terrible unless you're some prodigy that has never been questioned and it's insane, you're going to make some bad shit. Make something. Make that. See what happens. Learn from it. Go on and make another thing. And at the end of the day, just continue to make things that you actually give a shit about. Because when you stop doing that and when you stop caring about the paycheck... And we, sorry, when you start caring about the paycheck, that's when you start to slip out of all of those stories that you actually had that you wanted to tell. So the idea is not, look, 
if you make something with a handy cam in your basement and it's good, you can submit it to TIFF and they'll take it. All they give a shit about is that you made something that mattered, you made something that was different, and you made something that was good. That's all they care about. So to try to go and find people who have the best gear and the best crew and the best talent and the best actors and to try to put yourself into a position where you are perfectly lined up to make the best possible film you can make. If you do that, the film that you make will still be shit because you did not make another film first that was shit. You need to experiment, you need to grow, you need to develop a style. If Michael Bay taught us anything, it's that he developed a style and then started to make films. And if you can do that, and you can grow from that, and you can become a better filmmaker, then at the end of the day, commercially, you don't need success. Commercially, you don't need success. Commercially, you don't need success. And I can say that a million times over because there's literally not a success in selling someone else's brand. Create something that you're proud of and push that and make people realize that you're proud of what you put forward because that alone is worth more than creating something that you aren't proud of that paid your bills for a couple months. So at the end of the day, the only advice I can give is you have a story to tell, tell it, tell it as best as you can, prepare for it as best as you can, use whatever tool you have, and if you are good, and if you are effective, someone will see that, and they will bring you to the next level, and at that point, you will already know what you're supposed to do next. Sean O'Neill, starving artist. Starving as fuck. Volume five. Volume five. This is it. This is it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take this advice. Run with it. We will see you next week. Starving artist, volume five. Thanks for listening.